You know, surrender is used so many times in a negative sense. Because a soldier, the thought of surrender is not a good one. You think of surrender, you think of it leading to you to captivity, you're leading you to bondage, but you don't have to be a soldier or a former soldier to have a negative sense of surrender. So many times we hear, never give up, never surrender. But when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Christ, some of the most freeing moments you will have in your life only come through surrender. In fact, as a Christian, it's surrendering that actually leads to your freedom and the lack of surrendering that actually leads to your bondage. As we've been talking about all in over the last few weeks, what we're talking about is this ability to totally surrender, and it's not an easy thing. It's actually one of the most challenging things that you or I will ever do. Throwing up your hands and saying, I'm yours. There's no fight left in me. My prayer for each one of us, including myself, is that we will grow in that surrendering process. It's not something that comes overnight, but it's something that we have to daily practice my hope and prayer is that I will be more surrendered today than I was yesterday. That I'll be more surrendered tomorrow than I am today and more surrendered next week than I am this week. And that's my prayer for myself and that's my prayer for you guys as well. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you God, we thank you that through you, surrender can lead to freedom. That only through you, surrender can lead to empowerment. Surrender can lead to attaining the imaginable and the impossible. God, I thank you that you know each one of our hearts but you know the fear that surrounds our hearts. The concerns and the worries that prevent us from surrendering to you. And I, God, I, I pray for each person in this place that we would leave here today more surrendered than the way we came in. And God, that our tomorrows would be more surrendered than our todays. Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts to be dissected by your words this morning. To let your words penetrate our hearts and go to those places that we try to protect and cover up. God, as we surrender our hearts to you, would you have your way? Father, I pray that it would be your words and your words alone that are spoken and heard this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, 
when teaching Courtney to drive, and she shrinks in her seat going, oh, here we go, Dad, another one. It was years ago. I remember we would go, we, we were on the Cape one, one year. She probably remembers this, and, and we found this very large open parking lot. Typically, the larger and the emptier, the better. You always feel a little bit safer. And so with my heart in my mouth, I would climb out of the driver's seat, and Lori would climb into the back seat with Michael, and, and I would climb in the passenger seat and, and relinquish control of the car or the truck to Courtney. It's a scary moment, parents, if you've done this right. If you haven't done it, trust me, it is. There are sometimes you wish you could find a brake pedal on your side or something where you could suddenly jerk the emergency brake or reach over and grab the steering wheel, and it's not because your kids are bad drivers, it's just this natural response of a parent. And so I remember this particular day we had climbed in and we were driving, Courtney was doing a phenomenal job, she's a good driver, that made her happy. And she's driving, and she's doing well, and still my heart's in my mouth, and I'm probably overly controlling her and telling her what, like I still do today, when she's been driving for years. And then I remember she, she pulled into the parking space, and she put the vehicle in park, and I breathed a sigh of relief, and as I removed my fingers from being clenched in the dashboard, and there's still imprints there today, I hear this little voice from the back seat saying, Michael's turn. Where's Michael? There he is. Michael wasn't as old as he is now. And that was a bit of an alarming thought. But we knew we weren't going to get away without having Michael's turn. So Michael climbs into my lap. I remember telling this story a few years ago and someone came up to me and said, you know that's legal. So if you work in the RMV and know it's legal, I apologize. I didn't know it was illegal at the time. But he climbed into my lap. And... You know, the difference between Courtney driving and Michael driving is Courtney was trying to drive correctly. Michael thought, man, there's a big wheel here. This needs to be used. <laughs> and so you can imagine what our driving was like. If there were policemen there, we would have been pulled over in the parking lot. But it wasn't enough for Michael that he was being able to use the full range of the steering wheel. Before long... He takes his eyes off of where we're going, not that he was paying a whole lot of attention to that anyway. You know, when you're driving, just looking at the wheel, doing this, and, you know. And he realizes, we're not going as fast as I'd like to be going. So he realizes there's some gas pedal that he's trying to reach for now with his foot. Now, he had no idea where he was going. All he knew was he wasn't getting there fast enough. Sounds a lot like us sometimes in our lives. But that's a different sermon. So the end result of this lovely day of training was that I had two children that wanted to drive. One that knew when her turn was, and the other one, won't mention names, Michael, who did not. And so we would be driving along the road at a decent rate of speed when all of a sudden someone would have an inclination that they wanted to drive. And a hand would reach across and grab a hold of the steering wheel. As you can imagine, this can create a little bit of a problem. Because when a hand is across on the steering wheel, how many of you guys understand that, that limits 
the full pass function of that wheel. So with a hand reaching over and having that steering wheel, that hand can go up and it can go down. But that's only as much as you can steer that vehicle. If you're going down an interstate and you're in the Midwest or whatever in the West and you just got straight highway, that may not be a bit of a problem or may not be a problem at all. But if you're locked and you're turning and that hand grabs that steering wheel, now you're going to be locked turning for a long time. Or if you're in a curvy road, a hand on that steering wheel can lead you into oncoming traffic and lead you into a ditch. So we had to be really, really careful when we would go for a ride with Michael. Now, he wasn't trying to hinder us. He wasn't, he didn't have a different plan or different direction. He wasn't upset because we were going somewhere he didn't want to go. Although back then, whenever we passed church and didn't stop, he'd get upset. He just wanted to assist. He wanted to be part of the process. He wanted to drive too. He didn't just have his hand on the steering wheel. He had that little fist at the time clenched tightly around that wheel. About 17 years ago, I had one of those moments when I grabbed the steering wheel from God in my life. You guys know that we do the same thing. In our lives, there's a steering wheel. Many of us have no idea where we're going. A lot of times, we're not getting there fast enough. We don't want to limit God. We don't want to deter God. We just want to assist God. And so it's with good intentions that many times we'll reach across in our lives and grab a hold of the steering wheel that God's got. And as you can imagine, with your hand grasped firmly around the steering wheel in your life, God's limited in how far he can steer you and where you can go. The same thing can happen in our lives. That can happen if that happens in the world we live in today. We can end up being on the same path for a very long time. Maybe not getting into an accident, maybe not wrecking or derailing our lives. Just going straight. Sometimes it can lead us to driving in circles in our lives. Around and around and around. And other times we can find ourselves in a head-on collision or in a ditch. Not wanting to take the vehicle or the life in a different direction, but just simply thinking, hey, I'm going to assist God here. I want some control in this thing. It's kind of a natural response, isn't it? It's a natural response as a parent when your kid's driving to look for the brake or look for the steering wheel. Just Even if you don't grab it, just wanting it to be there so somehow you feel like you have some control that if they start going down a path, you don't want them to go. You can jerk the steering wheel, pull the emergency brake. And I think that's the way we are sometimes with God. If God starts going down the wrong path, it would be awesome. We go, hold on, God, emergency brake. And lock this thing up. 
17 years ago, I had one of those moments without even really realizing it in my life where I reached over and grabbed the steering wheel. Laura and I were driving home, I'm not even sure from where, and it was an insignificant conversation, really, I thought at the time, and didn't realize I would remember it almost two decades later. It really wasn't a long conversation. In fact, it really wasn't much of a conversation at all. I think it was more of a statement, and it lasted just a few seconds. See, God was really beginning to lay ministry heavily on our hearts, and it scared me and excited me at the same time. And I made this statement to Lori. I said, Lori, I will serve God for all of my life, but I do not want to live by faith. I do not want to be a pastor. There was a lot behind that statement. There was a lot of, honestly, hurt behind that statement. There there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of frustration. It was a real statement for me. It wasn't a random thing based on wants and likes. It was based on things I'd seen, things I'd encountered, things I didn't want to be a part of again. So it was a sensitive area for me and also for my brothers and sisters As you guys know, I've said this before, we grew up in ministry family. My parents were pastors. I'd watched my parents take care of a lot of people and in turn not be taking care of themselves. I'd watched them give all and people just take. And I watched them struggle and I watched God's faithfulness in the midst of it. And so because of all of this, I had this love and appreciation for God and my parents But also a little bit of this, hey, love the church, but I'm not going there. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to subject myself to that or my family to that. It was for those reasons that they were personal. I had experienced it firsthand. I'd seen it in the lives and pastor friends of my parents And so in my truck with Lori, as I sensed this leading towards ministry, I restricted God to missions. And you got to understand that all of this was said in my heart with a really strong desire to serve God. And it was real, and it was genuine, and I was passionate about serving God. But at the same time, I found myself in this desire to to serve God and be passionate about God and, 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 and wanted to live for Him, found myself facing the very things that bothered me at the very same time. The very things that had hurt me in the past. And my fears, and they were real, and they were legitimate. And so in the midst of this, it was like, God, I want to serve you, but... That was the hand over to the steering wheel moment. You can steer my life, God, anywhere you want within this range of where I will allow it to go. Because now we were facing the very real possibility of 
facing what we didn't want to face, leaving a good job, walking away from a home we just bought, and subjecting our family to the things that I may, the things we'd experienced before and might experience again. So my reaction was that, God, I will serve you, but not in this area. This area is off limits. This area is one where I need to remain somewhat in control. I don't think I would have quite put it this way, but what I was saying is you're not welcome here. It's a little too sensitive, a little bit too precious, just a little tender. The minute I did that, I grabbed a hold of the steering wheel. And I fastened my hand tightly around it. At the very same time, declaring to God that he could take me anywhere. I wasn't trying to hinder God in my life. I mean, if you looked at our lives to pat ourselves on the back, other Christians would go, oh man, these guys are really serving God. I mean, we were in church and we were tithing and we were serving, we were... Uh, assisting, we had been the interim youth pastors at that time. We were assisting in the youth group. We were, we were on fire Christians. But you can be an on fire Christian and you can be serving and you can be attending and you can be tithing, but you can still not be fully surrendered. Because none of that leads to fully surrender. And so that was where we were. But I thank God for his graciousness in my life because God took what I gave him. And he gently began to take my one finger at a time off the steering wheel. And I think as he peeled one back and went to the other one, the other one went right back on the steering wheel. But God graciously and gently began saying, for a surrendered life, you have way too much control. See, I didn't know where we were going. What we, God wanted us to do exactly, and we sincerely wanted to serve God. I didn't mean to get in the way. I didn't mean to place things before him, but we did. And we do. And I know God wants to speak to you this morning because I think this represents maybe the majority of us in this room. Not because you have now a pastor up here who's learned how to be fully surrendered, because I have not. I think to say that I'm fully surrendered to God would say that I've reached this perfection in my life, and I haven't. In fact, there are many times in my life that I find myself slowly reaching my hand over towards the steering wheel, and God having to smack my hand and put it down. Because desperately, inside of me, I still want some control. There's this fear that God will lead me somewhere that I don't want to be. And we all deal with that, if we're honest. And so this isn't a message from me to you saying, hey, you unsurrendered people, surrender like me. This is a message saying, what could God do? with me if I took my hands off the wheel. 
What could God do with you? If you took your hands off the wheel. And not because you're heathens and people not serving. I'm talking about people who love God sincerely, who are passionate about God, that strongly desire to serve Him, but still have their hand on the wheel. See, as long as my hand is on that wheel, I will never experience all the places that God wants to take me to. There are people who have been going down the same road and the same path for a very long time as Christians. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're here and you feel like, man, as a Christian, I just feel like I'm just living in laps, doing the same thing and just circling, circling, and circling. And then there's some that go, man, how did I end up in this ditch? Right? Well, how on earth did I head, end up in this head-on collision? I, I love God. And you do. I wouldn't take that from you. I've said this before, and, and, and I'll say it a whole lot more times. I think one of the things that I'm afraid of more than anything is getting to the end of my life. And as I lie on my deathbed, if I have that privilege, think back and go, man, I always thought God was going to do this. I always had this hunger inside of me for, and it never happened. And because I really feel like God is saying that hunger is real. And that hunger is something I've placed there. And yes, that's what I have for you. But you never took your hand off the wheel. You were so afraid to let go and surrender and trust that I could never take you to where I wanted you to go. And you're in heaven, and that's great. I know there are no tears in heaven, but in my world, the way I think, there's going to be a moment that I know that I'm going to encounter this because I know that I am not fully surrendered in every area of my life. And even when I get victory in those areas, I want to grab over. So I know that I feel like when I get to heaven, I'm going to stand before God and God's going to go, look, someone, let me just show you your life. Let me show you what your life was supposed to look like. And there before my eyes, he's going to open everything that my life could have been if I had truly understood a surrendering of a heart. And as I look, in my, in my, in my mind, I tear up. I know it's contrary to Scripture, but bear with me. In my mind, I tear up. Because as I look at what God has, and I look at what I, what I, what I did... It won't be the things that I did that I, that for God that, that I'll celebrate. It'll be the things that I held on to that restricted me from going where he wanted me to go that will grab my attention. And I'm definitely afraid of going, man, I, I traded all of this for that. 
And I was standing in, in, in the midst of eternity going, man, this meant nothing. It's not even here. It's completely gone. Was I so short-sighted that, that for some reason I held on to this thing as if it was some security or some hobby or enjoyment or something? And would I really trade this and the impact and the legacy and all that God wanted to do for this? And I feel confident I'm going to have that moment. I don't think I'm going to go and go, you're welcome, God. That's a picture of a truly surrendered life. Because I know who I am. I know how badly I want to reach over and jerk the steering wheel back. But what does life look like? What does life look like if you take your hand off the wheel? Some of us get uncomfortable right now even thinking about that. Shifting and thinking, man. Because here's the thing. This is real. This is like surrenders. I said this earlier. It's not an easy thing. It's the most challenging thing you will do in your life. It doesn't come easy and it doesn't come overnight because the things that we're afraid of surrendering, they're real to us. The things that I was afraid of surrendering to God, they were real. They represented real hurts, real pains, real fears. And those things didn't go away in order for me to surrender. I had to surrender in spite of them. Despite this fear, despite this concern or this worry, God, and my lack of understanding, and I don't know how it's all going to happen, if somehow I think that if I can maintain control, somehow I can steer my life better than you can and protect myself from these things. And so the fear is real. The worry is real. And in the midst of it, God doesn't lighten that. He says, no. I want you to trust me more than that. I don't want to drive down the same path and come to the end of my race going, man, I thought there was more. I don't want to drive in circles. I don't want to end up in a ditch. I think looking back now, I can see a whole lot more hands in the steering wheel than just one. I had enough hands to probably represent about six arms on that wheel. What's interesting is God slowly has been teaching me over these 17 years to take my hands off. And the funny thing is, the very things I've told God that I wouldn't do, <laughs> it's exactly where he's led us. And in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the worry, I met God in those places that I did not want to go in a very powerful way.
I experienced God and I grew in God in the very areas I was afraid to relinquish control to him. Because I wanted to live more of a safe Christianity. Popular right now, Christianity without a cross. But it's not Christian at all. And so God was saying to me, no, listen, despite your fears, and I recognize your fears are real. I recognize your worries are real. I recognize that your hurts are real, even legitimate. But I want you to trust me anyway. And you dare to take your hands off the wheel, and you watch that car go to the very place you don't want it to go. And then you watch God redefine who he is in the midst of what your worries once were. And he redefines himself, and he brings healing, and he helps, and he transforms. And as I look back on my life, the very things that I was afraid of going, the very things that I actually have grown the most in, and it was hard, and it wasn't easy. I didn't get to go, man, this is a piece of cake. Wow, what was I worried about? No, it was every bit the challenge that I thought it would be, and more, but... God showed up in a way in those areas that I never trusted him to. Does that make sense? That if I had shied away from it, I would still be convinced that maybe somehow God wouldn't protect or wouldn't help or whatever in those areas, but God shows up. And so as I look back, I actually look back at those areas with the fondest memories than with the worst memories. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And it's a story that we know well, and it's a story that sometimes we can read and glaze over, but it's about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. I think this has got to be one of the toughest stories in Scripture, at least for me. And I want to challenge you as we read this story to go there in your heart and allow God to dissect your heart. Allow God to, if you will, put us on trial rather than us putting him on trial. Why would God make Abraham do this? The question is, why wouldn't we do this for God? Verse 1 says this, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. And God said, take your son. And if it wasn't clear enough what God was asking, he makes it really clear. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. 
the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And let's stop there. We know the rest of the story. Abraham didn't. Abraham didn't. So God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac. We all have Isaacs in our lives. What's God's message to each one of us in this? Because there is a message to each one of us in this. What's your Isaac? Take your son, the only one you've got, whom you love. And he names him Isaac. What he's saying is, take your son, the one that I I promised you, the one that you waited for for 25 years. Take the promise, take your dream, take your joy, take your future, take your reward, take the most precious thing you have, take your heart, take the very thing that you're probably living for, take it, and with your very own hands, kill it and destroy it for me. What's your dream? What's your future? What's the promise that you've been waiting for? What's the thing that's got your heartstrings wrapped? What is your Isaac? What is mine? What is it that right now you get that pit in your stomach going, not this? You identify that, you just realize where you've reached over and grabbed the wheel. So many times it's the things that we find our identity in or it's the things that we place our security in, our futures. That might very well be your Isaac. We cheapen the gospel too much today. Just do. There is, it's a popular message, Christ without a cross or Christianity without sacrifice. It's just not God's. That's the problem with it. It may come from churches, but it's not coming from him. The things that God challenged us to do cost us. He didn't take that away. They cost us. We got more of a reward in the process than we ever, than it ever cost us, but 
They do. So Abraham, he, he packs up his stuff and he splits the wood and takes a three-day journey. That had to be the longest three days in his life. Wrestling through, how does this make sense? Why would God promise me? Why would God have this miraculous birth of this thing and then tell me to kill it? He had to think he was going crazy. I know I would. Why would God do this? And so with his heart in his mouth, yet with a knowledge and a trust of who God is, he climbs that mountain. It wasn't just a physical mountain. In fact, I I don't think he probably thought twice about how heavy the wood was or what he was carrying or how high the mountain was. The heaviest load that he was carrying was his heart and his questions and his emotions. What he climbed that day was a spiritual mountain, unlike any other mountain he'd ever climbed. And with it, he carried up every dream, every hope, his future, his security, his heart. What he was sacrificing that day wasn't just his son. It was everything about who he was. What he was sacrificing that day was himself. That looked like his son. It wasn't his son, it was him. And as he bound himself to that altar and every dream that he had, carrying a knife with him to kill it, can you go there in your mind? This isn't Abraham anymore, this is you. It's you. It's me. God says, take every hope, every security, every future. Take what you've been working on for 25 years. Take your plans. Everything that you have identity in that makes you you. And kill it with your own hands. It's one thing if it's killed by someone else. Maybe that's more understandable or acceptable. God told Abraham, kill it yourself. And so he binds his dreams and his hopes and and he binds his, his son. And I can only imagine Isaac, I don't know, I don't think he probably liked it too much. I imagine he was squirming a little bit, as most of our dreams will squirm when we look at the possibility of giving them up. And I imagine him with everything in him, seeing everything on that altar, not just the love of a son, but the death of a promise, the future of his identity, even thinking, who am I now without all of this? If I go back to Sarah, what do I even say? I've got nothing to live for. This is everything that I am. As he binds it up, he raises a knife. I can't even imagine how gut-wrenching that had to be. 
where there's this torment of everything that I've worked for, but this love of God where the love barely overcomes the torment. And the aggression is my has to go, okay, God, I'm going to do this, and I'm raising up. And in that moment, God says, Abraham, stop. Now I know that you love me. Through Isaac came Jesus. Down the road a little ways. Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you, can you take your dreams and can you take your future and can you take all of these things? Can you take your Isaac? And can you lay it down? Say, God, you're in control. It's all yours. So I don't know how we cheapen Christianity after this, right? Because this doesn't just happen with Isaac. God himself, with the same anguish, would give his son. And Jesus himself, we talk about the cost of following Christ. Jesus himself knows what it is to give his life for God. And it's in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's doubled over praying with sweat like drops of blood, wrestling with sacrifice and cost. They're carrying the burden for what it can accomplish. And what God would do with his life if he gave it. And how many people would find freedom and life and hope if he could give his life. And with the same amount of anguish that Isaac or Abraham must have had, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. In that moment, and everything changed. In that moment, Satan was defeated. Because he gave himself. And Jesus says to us, Go live like this. Just go live like this. Don't put anything before me. And I'll take you to your worst fears and we'll conquer them right there. Your worst worries and I'll build you in the midst of them. Not only will I build you, but I will use you in places you never dreamed possible. And inside of us, there's this desperate hunger that wants to be used by God. If I were to ask you, hey, raise your hands if you want to be used by God. I bet every hand this place would go up saying, God, this, I want this more than anything. God, I want to be used by you. But then there are real fears that have to be conquered. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. Jesus said, yes, you've done this, you've kept these commandments, but now go and sell everything that you have and give away the money to the poor. In his heart, this ruler wanted to follow God. He wanted to follow Jesus. And then God said, this is your biggest grip on the steering wheel right here. You want to follow me? Get rid of that. 
I wonder what his life was like after that. I wonder how many times he replayed that over and over and over in his head. I wonder if his wealth was ever enjoyable after that. He had just enough of God that he wanted more, that he couldn't enjoy sin, but he had too much of the world that he couldn't enjoy God. And that's how he lived the rest of his life. A hunger for following God and an unwillingness to go where God told him to go. I think it's a lot of people is a lot of people. I think church is filled with people who genuinely want to follow God. And it's not that it's not that they have things, it's that things have them. It's so many times you go, man, it's possessions that keep me from going. Let me tell you, that rich young ruler didn't have possessions. Possessions possessed him. And possessions kept him from going and walking where God had from. What would his life look like if he had surrendered all? I think to myself, listen, I might die and go to my grave and I might not have a penny or anything physical to my name, but let me tell you something. I will have a story. I'll have a story like none other, and I might not be able to leave inheritance to my kids, but I tell you what, I can leave a legacy that far outweighs an inheritance of how it is to live for God or try to live for God and try not to hold anything back. What would happen to, to your life? What would happen to my life if I, if I truly took my hand off that wheel? If I truly let go, if I truly surrendered. See, it's at that moment where Abraham had his hands up with that knife in his hand. That was an all-in moment. So when I look at that and I look at my life, I don't know that I can go, I'm all in. I got this. I want to have it. I think. Right? What could God do with your life? What could God do with my life? You heard the messages this morning. Guys, two messages. One is come to me with your hurts. Come to me with your pains. I will heal you. I will set you free. The other one is now go. There are people that need to hear. And I'm sending you. And I'm going to use this church and I'm going to move in powerful ways. But can we get our hands off that wheel? How many hands do you have on the wheel right now? What is it right now in your heart? 
If you allow God to penetrate and to say, what is it that's surfacing right now on your mind? What's that one thing that you're saying, ah, no, you're almost defending. Here's what I love about God. So many times, so many of our dreams have to go through a crucifixion. If you talk to a lot of people who've been serving God for a while, you'll see time and time again, God will give them a dream, and then he'll kill it right in front of them. And watch how they handle it. And then he'll resurrect it and do something beyond what they could dream or imagine with it in a truly surrendered life. You're holding yourself back with a hand on the wheel. Can I tell you, you will never outgive God. Because if you ever outgave God, He would be indebted to you. And that's never going to happen. He will always outgive you. He says, let go of the wheel. And trust me where you're afraid to trust me. And see if I prove myself faithful. See what I can do in your life. Would you stand to your feet? I want to close with this. Mark Batterson in his book, All In, writes this. A century ago, A band of brave men became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed a few earthly belongings into coffins. And they sailed, as they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone that they loved and everything that they knew. They knew they'd never return home. A.W. Mine was one of these missionaries. He set sail for Vanuatu, of all places, formerly known as the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had martyred every missionary before him. But Mayan did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, he lived among that tribe, and he loved them. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Dangerous to the enemy. He's called us to live dangerously and passionately in love with him. To let go of the wheels in our lives. To lay it all down. And to go. To dare to trust. To dare to go. Can I say something? Your dreams are too small to dedicate your life to. Your possessions 
are not worthy of your life. Your goals are so short-sighted. Only He, His mission, His purpose is worthy of your life. Your life has that much value to Him that He died for you to empower you, to free you, to live. Not for junk, but to live for the only thing that matters. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. Faithfulness is storming the gates of hell. God is calling. We're not going to cheapen the gospel. We're not going to make it easy. God's looking for faithfulness. He's telling you, take your hands off the wheel. And he knows how hard that is for you. He knows how tough. He knows the hurts, the worries, the concerns. And he cares about those things. In fact, the larger the concerns and the worries, the greater the sacrifice it is for you. And he knows that. I don't suggest that you can walk up to these altars today and walk out of here having no hands on the wheel. my hope is that you walk out of here with one less finger on that wheel than you walked in with. And maybe you're saying, God, I don't know. I, I want this and I, I want to I let go and I want to surrender, but I don't. I'm afraid. God, I, I want to let go, but I, I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. Maybe your greatest prayer is, God, I, help me to want to. Well, well, help me just take one finger off because I can't do this and I know I want to do this and I should want to do this, but help me just take one finger off today and then one finger off tomorrow and then I might put the other finger back on, but help me just to keep taking them off day by day and help me live more surrendered to you today than I was yesterday and tomorrow than I am today and next week than I am this week. And God, just take my life and I, and, and I take it and, 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 and all of the things that worry and concern you, you lay them on the altar. And it's a painful experience. But he never said it was going to be easy. He did say it would be rewarding and empowering and life-changing. All in. Do your dreams own you or do you own your dreams? He's worth living for. Wherever God sends you, let it be said of you. Maybe he's not going to send you to Vanuatu. He's not going to send you overseas. He's not going to do this. But let it be said of you that when you came, there was no light. But when you left, there was no darkness. Because you were all in. Let's never hold back. Let's lay it all down. Let's run our races.
Can I ask our prayer team to come forward and just make themselves available for prayer? And I'm going to pray and I'm going to close the service down. The response to this can be up here, but the response needs to be as you walk out of this place. What is God laying on your heart? What's the thing that keeps coming to your mind? What's it that's terrifying you right now? Talk to him about it. Well, Jesus, we come before you this morning. God, this is so hard. God, I thank you that you know how hard it is. Nobody knows it more than you. God, you know every, every fear in this place. God, every worry, every concern, God, every hesitation, God, every, every hurt, Lord God, you know how legitimate they are and how real they are, God, but you've called us, Lord Jesus. And I pray for every person in this place, Lord God, for every hurt, for every pain, for every hesitation, for every worry. God, I pray now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would empower your people. God, empower them, Lord Jesus, to lay down all that you're calling them to lay down. God, for those who can just take barely take a finger off the wheel, God, help them to take a finger off today. God, give those who, who are wrestling, Lord God, in that torment of, 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 of their dreams and their hopes and what they want to achieve and, and laying them down to you, God. God, just empower them right now, Lord God, to yield to you. For those who keep reaching across the, 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 the seat and grabbing the steering wheel, Lord God, God, let them realize what they're doing. God, for those whose lives have been going in circles forever or in a ditch, Lord God, or a wreck, God, God, would you restore them? Would you heal them? Would you set them free? God, we pray for freedom in this place, Lord God, that can come only through surrender, Lord God. God, would you break the chains that are binding your people? God, the chains, Lord God, that we are putting on ourselves that are holding us back from being all that you've called us to be, Lord God. God, would you empower this church, empower your people. God, let them see things they never dreamed of or imagined, Lord God. God, would you use them not according to their skill sets and abilities, but according to your power and your authority and what you can do in their lives, God. Let the enemy get his hands off your people, Lord Jesus. And would you send them out, Lord God, and use them as lights in the darkness, Lord God. As we lay all these things down at your feet, Lord God, be glorified in our lives. Let us run our race, Lord God. Empower us, Lord Jesus. Teach us to trust you, Lord God, like never before. Be glorified in our lives, we pray. God, you know how hard this is. You know the sacrifice. Just pray, God, you would confirm some of your callings this morning. Let us honor you with our lives. Let us give our lives only for you. Because you are the only one worthy of it. In Jesus' name.